There were no greater songs in the world to sing than the song of God's redeeming grace. And certainly we are thankful for that. We're thankful to be known as those who are His children. And I trust that it will encourage us and challenge us all at the same time uh, to realize what a marvelous gift we have been given. Ephesians chapter number 1, verse number 9. This morning will be our text. Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 9. And I want to just read that one single verse in verse number 9. Of course, there are a lot of messages that have led us to this place. And I would encourage you to listen to those if you have not. Uh, They will be a great help to you. But we're going to come to a subject this morning that uh, is one that we don't often think about. Or at least maybe I don't often think about. Uh, But this has certainly been a reminder for me this week. Ephesians 1 verse number 9 The Bible says this, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself. Our subject this morning is that expression there, the mystery of his will, the mystery of his will. There's a couple of questions that I think we need to ask before we even approach this text. And the first question is, is can a man discover the mysteries of God? In other words, is it possible for man to discover the mysteries of God? And secondly, does God hide his will from mankind? So really two prominent questions. Can man discover the mysteries of God, first of all? And secondly, does God hide his will from mankind? Paul is now moving, not moving totally away from it, but he's moving a little bit away from the ideas and the doctrine of election, the doctrine of predestination, to now something that doesn't seem quite as clear. It's the word mystery. Uh, The word mystery conjures up a lot of different things in our mind. We hear the word mystery, and depending on our upbringing and depending on our background, uh, we might think something like a mystery is something that is scary, something that is unknown. Uh, It it could be a, a number of different things. But when we see the word mystery in the Word of God, I want us to kind of get away from the idea of what the world defines mystery. Uh, mystery when it, with regard to the Word of God is not something scary. It's not something spooky. Uh, it's also not something that is incomprehensible. Sometimes a mystery is uh, someone sets out and tries to figure out and try to solve a problem. They try to solve uh, maybe a crime that's happened. But when God talks about the mystery of His will, He's not talking about something that's incomprehensible or something that is unknown. Uh, You say, why is that important? Because there are religions in the world, especially ancient religions that taught that there are things about God, that the mystery of God means that there's only a select few, very small group of people who actually will be, have an understanding of this mystery. It was premised on the fact that if you know the mysteries of God, you're one of those very few people who intellectually you've arrived at that, you figured out God's mystery, you unlock the code. Um, There's a lot of things in modern history that reminds me of uh, that kind of a mentality. Uh, There are still people today who who teach that there's a a secret, uh, hidden uh, Bible code in Scripture. That if you just look in the right places and if you're endowed and empowered with the right things, you'll be able to find and discover something in God's Word that nobody else can find and you'll be able to to trumpet that and say, I know something you don't know. That's never been the intent of the mystery of what God is talking about. Mystery is also biblically not something that's vague. Uh, God's truths are not relative. Uh, You've heard me say this many, many times. There's a contemporary thought, even in our churches today, that truth is relative. Uh, That the truths are relative depending upon who you are, where you come from, or what you want truth to be. God's Word is not relative. God's Word is truth. So God would not give us truth, give us a mystery that could not be solved or could not be comprehended. However, this biblical mystery 
is something that is hidden, truthfully, biblically speaking, it is hidden from natural man. A man in his natural depraved state is not going to be able to know or comprehend the mysteries of God. That's why when an unbeliever reads the Scripture, uh, you should not be alarmed if they read the Bible and they say, this does not make any sense at all. This is just a bunch of gibberish. To an unbeliever who has not been made known the mystery of the will of God, this is, is very confusing. Matter of fact, it is almost incomprehensible. But it's not because God is hiding it, per se. God has fully revealed the mystery. God has fully revealed Himself in the Scriptures. We're not left truly guessing about who God is. If we truly study the Word of God, we know who God is. One of the most asked questions to most pastors is, what is God's will? More specifically, because we often make these things personal, what is God's will for my life? Uh, It's the most popular young person teaching. Finding God's will for your life. And I won't even go on that trail today. I'll spare you from my thoughts on that. But the will of God is, truthfully, the will of God is the will of God for all people. There are lots of divisions of God's will, God's permissive will, and God's decreed will. And again, this morning is not intended for that. I want us to focus on the reality of this mystery, this biblical mystery. One man has put it this way, that the, the mystery of God is an open secret which sinful humanity cannot see. An open secret. Sinful humanity by himself or by herself cannot see the mysteries of God. They're incapable of understanding, but it doesn't mean God is incomprehensible. So what does that mean? It means that the mystery of God's will is always founded upon the reality that God must reveal the truth to mankind. God's got to reveal it to people. Now, not revealed in a sense of what we think when someone stands up one day and said, I had a revelation from God while I slept last night. God came to me in a dream. There is completely unnecessary for any of that to take place at all in our generation. God is not going to appear to you and reveal to you something that is not already contained in the Word of God. Yet there are churches who get duped into believing Their pastor comes up one Sunday and says, I got a new revelation from God last evening, and instead of preaching our normal sermon series today, I'm going to reveal to you something that God revealed to me, and as far as I know, I'm the only one that is in possession of that right now. You realize when I say that to you, I'm speaking heresy to you. And I'm saying that to you because I want you to recognize I just made a heretical statement. And if I came in and did that next Sunday, throw me off this platform. That's how serious this is. This is not an incomprehensible, unknown mystery to everyone else. The mystery of God's will would be something that has been revealed and accepted by many, many people. It will not just be one person in possession of this great mystery. Paul is not talking about somebody being in possession. He's not even even lumping himself as saying, I know something you don't know. I don't know about you, but if the Apostle Paul wouldn't claim that for himself, I'm not sure I would dare claim that I have a new revelation from God. Yet what is this that Paul is talking about? When we understand that this mystery has to be revealed by God, doesn't that do an amazing thing for our evangelism? Doesn't that do an amazing thing for the proclaiming of the gospel? It does because the gospel even of itself, the true gospel message is incomprehensible to people without God revealing it to them. But the wonderful thing about the gospel is this, that God is not hindered by this mystery. He's not hindered by a man's intellect. He's not hindered by a a, a man's upbringing. He's not hindered by a man's economic status. As long as God reveals it, it can be revealed to anyone, educated or uneducated. There's this great movement today, and I I am by far the last person who is against even seminary education, doctrinal education. But the mystery of God is not found in education. 
The mystery of God is not found in how many PhDs you have. It's not found in how many degrees you have. The mystery of God is revealed when God reveals the truth to His people. Paul is not saying you you need to be educated to get this. You need to be rich to understand this. No, he uses a wonderful phrase. He says, having made known unto us. Paul says, unto those, the elect, the predestinated, the chosen, the people he's been talking about in the first eight verses. He said, you have been made known. It's been made known unto you the mystery of his will. We've got to remember that's a work of God. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit opens the eyes of sinful men. He opens the eyes of sinful women. He softens the heart so that the revelation of Jesus Christ now becomes made known unto them so that they see their need of Christ and they see their need of a Savior. They see that they actually are in fact sinners. Now let's make one thing clear. Faith is not contrary or in opposition to reason. But here's a truth. Reason and intellect alone will never bring you to God. No matter how you reason God out, you will never arrive at God by your own reasoning. Nor will you ever be brought unto Him just simply by your own intellect. The mind of a man, the mind of a woman, when compared to God, and this is is an offensive statement, if I'm just going to say it, it's not crude offensive, but the mind of God, the mind of man when compared with God is an irrelevant mind. That's not the most encouraging thing you're going to hear all day, but your mind compared to God is irrelevant. God is not impressed with anything that my mind can conjure up. God's never had to listen to my reasoning with Him and reconsider all that He's doing. God's never once asked me for what I thought about something. He's never once said, you know, what I said there in Ephesians chapter number 1, verse 9, what are your thoughts on that? My mind compared to God is irrelevant. And you say, that's just offensive, preacher. It offends me because my pride says, wait a minute, I'm very relevant. I mean, look what I know. Look at my education. Look at my upbringing. I'm relevant. Not when you're compared to God. But what's the wonderful truth is that Paul says, he's made known unto us the mystery of God. Our thoughts, our mind becomes relevant because God has made them known unto us. So now what we have to say as we follow the Word of God, it is relevant. When I speak the Gospel to somebody, I'm speaking now something that's relevant. By the way, relevant is the key. Not contemporary or modern is not the most important thing. The mind of man says we need to make the Gospel more contemporary. No, you just need to keep preaching the same gospel and let God open the eyes and reveal the mystery of His will. I'm telling you, when you do it God's way and you watch God work in the life of someone who didn't understand it, who was using their reasoning, using their intellect, all important things, but then when God opened their eyes and opened their ears and softened their heart and they say, Preacher, I want you to know something. God, I see Him. I see Him. I don't even have to ask him questions. I say, well, what happened to you? And they said, Lord, save me. I didn't do that. God did it. And suddenly things that you thought were so mysterious and so incomprehensible, now you begin to see them. So that when you see them in the scripture, you say, I get it. When you sing the hymns that we sing, we sing doctrinally sound hymns because I want you to see you're singing about the mystery of his will when we sing Even all the hymns we sang this morning are irrelevant to the human mind, but they're very relevant to the mind whose eyes has been opened to the truth of who God is. God must bring man to this truth. 
Yes, we need grace for our salvation, but grace starts even long before we recognize that we're a sinner. Grace begins when He reveals unto us the mystery of His will. So how does Christ do this? How does God do this? How does the Spirit all working together do this? We are enlightened to the mystery of His gospel of redemption. Redemption is an incomprehensible truth without God enlightening us to it. Redemption makes no sense to the human mind. A man dying on a cross makes no sin to the human mind. Nevertheless, an innocent man dying and paying, the sins, paying for the sins for somebody else makes no sense. However, we understand that the gospel itself is a hidden mystery to the natural man, whether you're a Jew or you're a Gentile. Biblically speaking, the Old Testament, the Jews, their eyes were open to the truths of God first. They were given the first oracles. There was a time, historically speaking, when God had not revealed Himself. This is very important. God had not revealed Himself really to anybody but the Jews. And you say, so did the Gentiles just get more educated and more philosophical and reason better and get intellectually stronger that suddenly now? No, the Bible clearly says he began to open their eyes. But the Jews were given the first oracles. The only reason they even understood the basic truths was because God opened their eyes to those truths. Now we're going to stay primarily with the mystery of his will as it's recorded to us in the New Testament. So I want to give you just a couple of support references here. You're there in Ephesians. Go over to Colossians 1 and look at verse 25 through 29. Paul, again, is, is dealing with this subject of the mystery. Okay, The mystery of his will. And he clearly talks about how this mystery works and even talks about how it's been hidden. Colossians 1 verse 25. Paul writes... Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints. I want you to make, make careful note of what Paul said. Which hath been hid from ages and from generations. Clearly declaring that this mystery has been hidden by God. Now immediately, human reasoning said that doesn't seem quite fair. Why would God hide anything from anybody? So man goes on a search to say, if God's hiding it from me, I'll find it. I'll find it. Not without God lightening you to the truth. You'll never find it. But notice again what he says. To whom God, because he says he made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Here's Paul even declaring why the Gentiles have any idea about any of this. Because God did it. Whom we preach warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. So Paul tells the church at Colossae about this mystery. In Romans chapter number 16, Paul mentions it in passing in earlier chapters, but as he's finishing this letter, Again, when we study passages, you remember I told you when we were getting to the book of, end of the book of Romans, I told you you've got to be careful about not hitting the fast-forward button and, and flying by some truths because just because it's the ending doesn't mean that there's not really important things being mentioned. But in Romans 16, in the last three verses, Paul talks about this mystery. Romans 16, verse 25, Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. To God only wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. That, now, that's a way to end a letter. 
No frivolous, have a good nice day. No frivolous. He simply says, listen, here is, here is a powerful thing. The mystery that's been revealed to you. The mysteries of God that's been made manifest, how? By the scriptures of the prophets. How may I know the mystery of his will? How may I know the mind of God? I hold it within my hand. I hold it on my lap this morning. I might hold it even on a little phone or on a tablet. It's the word of God. Not man coming in and saying, I had a dream last night. It is through the scriptures and through the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ that God opens the eyes so that people will see and understand this mystery. When Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, so now we've got Colossae, we've got the church at Rome, and now the church at Corinth. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 6. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 6 through 10. Paul again, with that church and churches, makes mention of this. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 6. He said, Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Now let me stop there, because this bothers me every time I see this verse. People take this verse out of context and say, I hath not seen nor ear heard, entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. They always immediately apply it to heaven. Now, there are things in heaven that we're not fully aware of, but that's not the context of what Paul's writing about. And we know that because of the very next word, the very next phrase he says, but God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit for the spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. He's talking about the things God has revealed to us, this mystery, the things we know now. He's talking about human eyes, human ears, it has never entered into the sinful heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. You know things about God today that the unbelieving world has absolutely no clue about because it's hidden from them at this moment. Now, that doesn't mean it will always be hidden. We all probably have at least a single loved one that we know I've talked with all of you enough to some extent where you've told me there's somebody who I'm praying for. There's somebody I'm witnessing to. There's somebody I'm begging to come to church. And you say, Pastor, I'm just trying to figure a way to get through to them. You're not going to get through by reason or intellect, but I'm telling you when God opens the eyes and God opens the ears and He softens that heart, you don't have to wonder if God moved in. And I don't mean that in some charismatic way. I'm just simply telling you it's unmistakable and the comprehension is out of this world. Suddenly things that were just almost foreign writing on a page, now the person actually says, I understand. For what man... Or no, he says, verse 10, But God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the Spirit of a man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. I've had this conversation with so many people. Why do people think the Scriptures and believing in the Scriptures, why do they think that's so dumb? There's your verse right there. Folks, can I tell you something? Don't get angry at the unbeliever for not understanding. You are not going to help them by just getting angry at them. 
Now, we call out heresy, and we do that unapologetically. If a heresy is being taught, yes, you call it out. You can't just sit there and abide by it. But understand something, an unbeliever, a true unbeliever, unless the Spirit of God has given them discernment, they do not know. I'm like you. I get impatient when people don't respond to God. I get impatient when the words preach and there doesn't appear to be a response to what God is preaching to all of us about. I get, in my humanity, frustrated that God's not working quick enough. I get frustrated and look at people and say, why don't you get this? We've talked about this a hundred times. And I keep being reminded that this mystery of His will is opened. God does the opening of the eyes, not me. For a lot of years, I had that backwards. I thought God depended upon me of giving a clear and perfect presentation, following the perfect road of Romans. You could lay all those things out perfectly. You could be so well-versed, and I'm not saying you shouldn't be, and still not see a person's soul converted. It's not because you didn't explain it well enough. It's not because you didn't do a good enough job. It's simply because God in His perfect will has not at that point decided to reveal to them the mystery. You never know where it's going to work. I've told you the story of how Charles Spurgeon came to know Christ. He grew up in a Methodist home that was Methodist in name, but far, far away from God. Yet he wanted to go to church on a snowy evening. His parents didn't want him to go. He said, I want to go to church. He walked himself to church, and the closest church he could come to was a Baptist church with about five people sitting there in the middle of a snowstorm. The regular preacher was not there for the day. And a man who came in there thought, you know, there's, there's really no reason. There's only five people here tonight. There's no reason for us to really have services. And yet Spurgeon came in, and of course he's not known as Charles Spurgeon, and he's just a young boy. And he takes a seat in the very back of that church and a man sees that and he's just, he's just impressed upon the reality that I still need to preach the truth. The guy has no biblical education formally. He doesn't, he's not an eloquent speaker. As a matter of fact, they said he spoke with a stammering tongue. Yet he preaches directly out of Isaiah and the verse just simply says, look to the Lord and be saved. Spurgeon's eyes are opened. He's converted right there in that little church. And he grew up in a very spiritual family, so to speak. But it was God that opened the eyes, and God used a man who simply just opened the Word of God, did the very best he could, read the Scriptures, didn't give three points in a poem, didn't try to persuade them to come, Spurgeon say, come running down the aisle. But Spurgeon... His eyes were opened. Now again, Spurgeon was a man. He's not perfect. But it's the example of God's, the mystery of God's will being revealed. And when Paul writes that phrase back in our text, having made known unto us, the us there refers to every single child of God. Not just some secret society of people. Look at some of your religions of the world and you will find there is a great emphasis placed on the intellect of the leader of that religion. Because he'll tell them, I am capable of knowing things you cannot know. There are churches that have people held in bonds telling them repeatedly over and over and over again, you can't understand, you can't understand. Nobody in this room can understand. Only I can understand it because I'm the only one that's had it revealed to me. And I'm going to read into it. I'm going to read it in the language that you can. And once you get the under, once you have understanding, you'll understand what I'm saying to you. And they're sitting there with nothing but gibberish being delivered from a high above them pulpit, being convinced the mystery of God is incomprehensible. But I will tell you this, even in the midst of that, God can break through and open the eyes of, of a person to see the truth for what it is. Often you see it happen when people leave a particular church and a denomination of false doctrine. God opened their eyes to the heresy that was there. 
Paul is not talking about some secret, incomprehensible thing. He's talking about having made known unto us. How does God reveal these things to us? He does it outwardly through the preaching of the gospel, through the preaching of the word of God. But the word of God, unless it's accompanied by the illuminating power of the Holy Spirit, is just words. Having made known unto us what? The spirit of his will. What is the will of God? That is the whole doctrine of God's grace, the whole doctrine of salvation, which is a hidden mystery to others. And it would still be a mystery to you and I today had God not revealed it to us in the gospel. Every time the gospel is preached, if you're in Christ, you're reminded of how good and gracious God has been to you. And the fact that you can sit here and even understand anything I'm saying this morning, and I'm not sounding like I'm talking some foreign language, is a gift of God. This is not like sitting in front of a lecturer down at a community college talk about a subject that your mind can eventually get a hold of. Even me, who's a, who is very, very poor in math, if I study it long enough, eventually I'll come to a working knowledge of it just by my own diligence. But you understand that until God enlightens the eyes, until God opens the heart, even my best diligence, that mystery is not going to be revealed to me. People say often, what do, you, what do I do for my, lost, my loved one who doesn't know Christ? What do you recommend? The first thing I tell them is I say, give them a copy of God's Word, and I want you to have them read John, I want you to have them read the Psalms. Now what am I betting on? That may be a bad word. What, what, am, I, what am I depending on? I'm depending on the Word of God, and I'm depending on the Holy Spirit illuminating that heart to the truth. They say, well, they can't possibly understand John. We, we took two years working through the book of John. They can't possibly know that. The only reason the book of John series made any sense to any of us for those two years is because God had revealed it to you. Three quarters of the book of John doesn't make any sense to the human mind. But it's been revealed. Having made known unto us the mystery of his will, by the way, when Paul was declaring these doctrines, don't think he was being received with open arms. There were people alarmed at what Paul was saying. The whole idea of election, the whole idea of predestination, of choice, these were alarming things to the people in which he was proclaiming those to. We live in a day and age where we act like people when they are rejecting, they reject the gospel, they're rejecting, and government wants to, to get God out of everything. Folks, this is nothing new. Some reason we've we've got this, we've got this jaded view of history. We even say it. I want to go back to the good old days. The good old days are all in your perspective of what you declare to be good. But we get this fairy tale image. Wow, things were so much better then. There were aspects that may have been better. But God's always been the same. His message has always been hated. Why were all the disciples but one killed for their faith? By the world's standards, those guys were fools. Who lets another person chop a person's head off for the sake of Christ? I, that's gruesome. But somebody who's got to really know something about God even allows it to get that far. Right? There's, there, this is not just something that dominates our, our, our intellect. Paul is not speaking here to the people who don't see it. In the book of Ephesians here, this first part of this chapter, he's talking to people who already understand the mystery of God's will. But it's a mystery which he's telling them God has been pleased to reveal it to you. Remember, Paul's been giving, been giving God all the glory for their election. He's been giving God all the glory for their calling. And he said all of these things have been according to the good pleasure of God. Paul is trying to get them to understand that I want you to consider that Christ has been made known unto you and the gospel's been preached unto you and your eyes have been opened not because you deserved it, but hold on to your socks because it pleased God. My salvation somehow, some way, in all of my wickedness and all my depravity pleases God. And for the life of me, I can't figure that out. I can't make heads or tails of 
Why in the world would God be pleased with my conversion? How do we know that? He said it's according to his good pleasure. Folks, understand, and even as we move into November, we think about being more thankful for things. You realize that the good pleasure of God is the fountain of all spiritual blessings, temporal and eternal. Listen, if you have, if you have something to go home to today, everything you have is because of the spiritual blessings of God. Now there is this, I'll use the terminology, it's not the, I don't like the term the best of the expression. We hear about God's common grace. That God is good to even people who are wicked and hate Him. And it's true. God allows the atheist farmer his, his fields to produce. The man doesn't thank God one moment for one ear of corn that comes up. As a matter of fact, he walks through his fields and he says, you know what, I am a pretty good farmer. I learned last year what didn't work and now I planned ahead and look what I'm producing now. The only reason that farmer's field is providing anything is because God, by his grace, is allowing that field to provide. And I do firmly believe that there are moments in time when God cuts off the land of someone and says that land is no longer going to produce anything no matter how much you till it, no matter how much you fertilize it, it's not going to produce anything. You say, you believe in that kind of a God? That's the God of the Bible. That's the God that even through the people that hated Him, He still continued to show them mercy. But understand what Paul's saying according to His good pleasure. If he's the fountain, that means every blessing flows from him. Not our blessing to him. It comes from him. The good pleasure of his will, the mystery of his will, is even being chosen before the foundation of the world. Being to be appointed as a vessel of mercy instead of a vessel of wrath. To be appointed a vessel of honor instead of a vessel of dishonor. But Paul says he made known unto us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself. Now when God purposes something, that is a firm and settled will. When God purposed something, it's not temporary or fleeting. So he made known unto us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself. That means if he purposely did this in himself, nothing will move that. That's why when Paul makes the statement in the book of Romans about nothing shall separate us. Now persecution, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Why? Because that's according to the purpose that he planned in himself. God never contradicts his own word or his own purposes. We look out and we see society, we see generations, we see what's happening, and we think, this cannot be, this cannot be the way God planned it. No, it's harder to believe that everything that's happening is happening under the sovereign control and the sovereign hand of God, even though you and I don't fully get it or understand it. How can all the wicked in the world, how can the evil, how can the uproar that we see, how can this be according to God? Because everything is according to God's purpose. His purposes are obviously according to the appointed time too. When God determines to reveal the truth unto you, it's not between me and you, it's between you and God. Now I'm called as a minister of the gospel, to proclaim the truth, whether I want to proclaim it or not. I'm called to give the gospel. I'm called anyone who's under the sound of, the, of my words and the word of God to call people to repentance, to call them to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But I fully understand that gospel call is not dependent upon my personality. It's not dependent upon my presentation. It's dependent upon the will of God being accomplished and the Holy Spirit making people willing to believe. I'm not going to pull on your emotions to try to convince you to do anything. I'm not going to try to make you feel guilty to get some kind of an action out of you. I'm simply going to say, when you realize what God has done for you, a heart of thanksgiving and a heart of thankfulness results in wanting to do something for God. It just does. 
If you have to convince people to speak about God, if you have to convince them to do the work of God, you have to ask yourself the question, have they really been enlightened to the mystery of God's will? Because we know part of the will of God is for every believer to preach the gospel. It's not just your pastor's job. It's not just the missionary's job. You may never stand behind a pulpit and you may never speak to a group of people, but you sit across from unbelievers in your workplace. You sit across unbelieving family. You say, I've talked to them hundreds of times. They've told me never speak again. Be bold in Christ. Yeah, preacher, that's really easy. I know how hard it is. I fail at it often. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you, listen, just follow my perfect example because I always talk about the Lord the way I should. I'm glad you don't see my whole life. It's not perfect. But I do know that what I do understand about God, what I understand about my own salvation is according to His purposes and according to His good pleasure. And it's only because God has made known unto me and known unto you the mystery of His will. According to what He has appointed and when. So if God's purposes are always perfect, which they are, that means they're always wise, they're always at the right time, they're always properly arranged. If it's in God's power to do all these things, isn't it up to God to communicate the when? Remember, the Gentiles up to a certain point, they had been hidden, their minds had been hidden from the things of God. Who are we to argue and say, God, why do you wait so long to reveal it to the Gentiles? Why did you give it to the Jews first? Remember, Paul is not just talking to Jews at Ephesus. He's talking about Jews and Gentiles. And he said, you have been made, been made privy to the understanding of the mystery of God. If you knew what it was, the time, or you could think back to the time when you were without Christ... Paul makes mention of this in Ephesians 2.12 when he says, verse 11, he says, Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And here's the place of thanksgiving. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Paul clearly says, even in Ephesians 2, that one time the Jews were telling you, paraphrased, we're in possession of a mystery that you don't know. That's what it means by those who were called the circumcision. But he said even they were just circumcision made in the flesh. They don't have even the same understanding that you have right now. People ask me the question now, why are the Jews today still blinded? Because God said He was going to do that. God said He was going to do it. When is He going to open their eyes? And we can talk about when that's going to happen in the end of times scale. But I can come to this conclusion that their eyes will be opened at the appointed time that God opens their eyes and reveals it to them. And that applies to any person who lives on this earth. When God's appointed time arrives, He will open their eyes. Now those who don't like this type of preaching or this type of thought say, well, that just doesn't seem right. That's because you put too much emphasis on the you. You're putting too much emphasis on the work that you're going to do. Well, shouldn't everybody just be given a choice? Shouldn't they be able to reason this out? If God left you to your own reason... You're not in Christ today. If God had just simply said, I'm just going to let mankind decide to come to me. Do you know how many converts there'd be? There'd be zero. But we're prideful. We're just, just got enough pride in us to just say, yeah, I think if I was really given the chance, I'd come to Christ. Do you know why you say that? Because your eyes have been opened to the truth and you know what the truth is now. Before that happened, you didn't know truth. But yet you think you'd come to God? It's not happening. That's a mystery. Paul says, you've, it's been revealed to you. You know it. How can a person who was formerly without Christ and without God in the world have one reason to question how God works by revealing this mystery? 
How dare we say when God should reveal the truth and when He shouldn't? How dare we say God should reveal it to this individual but not this individual? And by the way, we've all been guilty of that. We see the most wicked of people and we forget our own depravity and we say that person does not deserve to hear the gospel another time. You better be very careful about your spiritual assessment of people. Because you're more wicked than you think. And so am I. Oh, our spiritual high-mindedness really likes to come in, especially when we get a little bit of spiritual knowledge and we start thinking, boy, I tell you, I've been, I've been studying the Word of God for 30 years. You can say the Word of God for 30 years and be dreadfully wrong. God's not concerned about how many years you've been doing it. Concern of God is, has He opened your eyes and revealed to you the actual truth? How could a person who understands their own depravity dare try to deny that knowledge of God to another individual? Remember, I began by asking us those questions. Can a man discover the mysteries of God? On his, the answer to that question is on his own? No, he can't. The second question was, does God hide his will from mankind? Yes, he does. You say, I don't like the fact he hides it from certain groups. That's not for you and I to decide. Blessings were made known unto the believer by the Lord showing them those blessings. The mystery of His will or the mystery of God's sovereign will. That is the method of redemption. That's the method of salvation. But those things would have been hidden from us had God not made them known by His written Word, by the preached Word, and by the Spirit of God, the Spirit of truth. In Christ, we see the mystery of His will both in the wisdom and the power of God in our redemption. God reveals to men when He pleases, how He pleases, and to whomever He pleases, that in His own time, what the promise of the Word of God is this, that all of His that belong to Him, all that God the Father promised to the Son, all of them will be brought together on one head, which is Christ Jesus. I can rest in the fact today of knowing that Jesus Christ will not leave out a single individual. God will not leave behind a single person. From our evangelism, from our understanding of missionary work, that ought to give us comfort. Now, we can always be confronted with the what if. What if my child? What if my grandchild? What if my spouse? What if my uncle? What if my grandfather? What if my grandmother? Folks, I know these are all very real thoughts, but you also need to understand that God has revealed Himself to millions, millions. We don't, it's an innumerable number. And none of us were worthy of it. None of us. And we have to trust that God, that's where our comfort lies. Don't place your comfort in what man will reason to do. Don't rely on him getting more intellectually smart. Say the mystery of his will is that God reveals his will in his own time according to his own purpose. And if you're in Christ today, you rest in the reality that God purposed in himself that even before the foundation of the world, he would make known unto us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself. I hope this will encourage us today. I hope it will strengthen us and remind us of just who God is. Let's conclude with our Valley of Vision this morning and we'll have a closing hymn. 340 is where we are in our Valley of Vision. And this is entitled, A Minister's Confession. A lot of principles here, not just for what we call full-time ministers. It's not really what the intent here. He says, O oh God, I know that I often do thy work without thy power, and sin by my dead, heartless, blind service, my lack of inward light, love, delight, my mind, heart, tongue moving without thy help. I see sin in my heart in seeking the approbation of others. This is my vileness, to make men's opinion my rule, whereas I should see what good I have done and give thee glory. Consider what sin I have committed and mourn for that. 
It is my deceit to preach and pray and to stir up other spiritual affections in order to beget commendations. Whereas my rule should be daily to consider myself more vile than any man in my own eyes. But thou dost show thy power by my frailty, so that the more feeble I am, the more fit to be used, for thou dost pitch a tent of grace in my weakness. Help me to rejoice in my infirmities and give thee praise, to acknowledge my deficiencies before others, and not be discouraged by them, that they may see thy glory more clearly. Teach me that I must act by a power supernatural, whereby I can attempt things above my strength and bear evils beyond my strength, acting for Christ in all, and have his superior power to help me. Let me learn of Paul, whose presence was mean, his weakness great, his utterance contemptible, yet thou didst account him faithful and blessed. Lord, let me lean on thee as he did, and find my ministry thine. Before we sing, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the instruction from your word. Lord, I do pray that today there will be a response in our heart. Lord, not a response that man needs to be an eyewitness to, and not a response that others need to see and commend us for, but just a simple willingness to submit to your authority and to your rule, and to just a spirit of thankfulness that our eyes have been opened to see and understand and discern the truth. That you have, in fact, revealed unto us the mystery of your will. Father, may this lead us to a place of repentance. If we have missed this, if we have thought all along that we have spiritually arrived, may we be reminded that it's not about a spiritual arrival. It's about the goodness and the grace and the mercy that you have bestowed upon us. Thank you for showing us our sin, showing us that we needed a Savior, and thank you for saving our souls. And may we, in some way, in any way we can, proclaim and rejoice in the goodness of our God. We thank you for all these things, and it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Let's stand together and turn over to hymn number 353.